The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. Lots to talk about this Monday morning. Tamara Cherry is here from Pickup Communications. Pavan Brach is a serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate development and a part-time farmer. (laughs) Journalist co-founder of The Line, which is an online magazine. Matt Gurney is here as well. Let's start with uh, security in our city. And I have to say my reaction on Friday when I read, as we discovered, she was an 89-year-old woman had been pushed to the pavement and killed by somebody she didn't know. I thought this has got to stop. And then through the weekend, we continued to have incidents of people exposing themselves, of people sexually touching people on the TTC, TTC worker being hit with uh, BBs from a BB gun. So we put in a call to the mayor's office and John Tory appeared with us this morning. I asked him, about a new strategy in New York, which is where they're being a little less gentle. They're not rounding people up and throwing them into hospitals, but the idea that people with mental health issues and drug issues can simply wander the streets and harass people has come to an end in New York. Here's what he had to say. People who are experiencing mental illness are ill. They're not criminals. They may end up engaging in criminal behavior, but they're ill. And, and, you know, I think that w- what they've done in New York, which involves a lot more kind of uh, apprehension of people and taking them off to, um, you know, somewhere where they're kept in custody, in effect, is something that um, I think would be legally very challenging in this country under our charter. And you have to ask yourself, is that the right answer? Well, Matt Gurney, ask ourselves if it is. I, I don't tend to be much of a hard ass, but I have to say in this city, it's reaching the point where I think people are feeling afraid in the downtown, in which case they're not going to go there anymore. The two things I would say in response to uh, the mayor there is, first of all, if we imagine that that statement was to the family of one of the victims instead of to you, I think we understand how crazy it sounds. Like, it's it's easier, not easy, because I don't think any part of John's job is easy, but it's easier to talk about these ideas in the abstract when we're talking about our broader understanding of mental health and how it correlates with violence. And yes, it's true that people who suffer from mental health are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators. Like, we all know know this but we also know that there's something going wrong in this city and what are we going to do about it and just imagine how unsatisfying that answer is uh, to someone who has lost a loved one the other just thing i would say is that the the people who do have mental illness and again the mayor's right they're not criminals and they're more likely to be the victims of violence but they also deserve better than to be abandoned to their illness and that is something that we have done we've convinced ourselves that someone basically has the right to be untreated for mental Mental illness. It destroys their quality of life. It often destroys the quality of life of their family. And it does occasionally lead to outbursts of violence that ruins part of the quality of life of the city here. I don't know if the New York system is perfect, but I think we can do better than what we're doing here. Tamara, I hear you nodding in the background. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I, I agree, Matt. Thank you very much. Um, it, just to extrapolate a little bit on what I think Matt was saying. I mean, you know what else? has been shown to to increase the chances of violence drinking so are we going to start sending police officers to every bar and proactively arrest anybody who looks like they might be drunk because they're more likely to attack somebody no we need to take a more thoughtful big picture look at this problem we cannot be saying you know we can't be focusing on police um taking these people to hospital because this is not a policing problem. This is a societal problem. 
Police can and do do that, but we need to focus on what happens after they arrive at hospital, after they leave at ho- leave the hospital. What systems are in place to blanket these people with the support and the care that they need? John, you're aware of this uh, campaign. I've been this ongoing campaign I'm going with Toronto Police called TPS Trust. Yeah. Well, I'm going to just tell you briefly about an interview I recently did because it's not public yet, but it was absolutely remarkable. This program. Uh, there's a couple of officers who are military veterans who who hit the streets. You know, brand new. Officers a few years ago, and they realized there was no police protocol in place to connect military veterans who they were encountering on radio calls, be it at, you know, incidents of domestic violence or, you know, that homeless guy on the street who's who's acting a little bit crazy. There was no protocols in place to connect these people with the the care that is available to them as veterans. So these police officers created partnerships with Veterans Affairs, with, with all these different organizations, so that, and now they're training police officers across the city. So now police officers, when they encounter somebody who's a military veteran, they can tell them, because many times they don't know, you know, we can get you help this way, this way, and this way. And he was telling me stories about, for example, one man in Scarborough who was homeless, and this, I think it was a 42 division officer, called one of these military veterans wellness program officers over there. They had a chat with this guy. They called the local legion, and guess what? That guy is now in permanent housing. It was a thoughtful, it it started with a thoughtful conversation and then hires up, but again, this isn't a policing issue. This is a societal issue. But we need to be having more big picture conversations like that to actually, in fact, change. I'm glad you told that story, Tamara, because it made me recall that when I was uh, interviewing a bunch of people about homelessness, I was at Good Shepherd Shelter, and I forget the figure, but it was astounding how many of the people they serve are veterans of the Canadian Armed Forces. Pavan, your yeah. thoughts? No, I build on what Matt and uh, Tamara both said. I mean, it's it's two things. It's we have a we have a failure of management our our government is paralyzed they can only deal with one little issue at a time versus a systems approach which i think is what we're hearing and what you're bringing up with john tory this morning is that you know catch it's catch and release right now the system's broken we don't we and we as a as a government as as government and people need to demand that we do look at the big picture and we do find a way to deal with these issues and we do have a management issue whether it's transit or mental health or policing we have to change the way we approach things uh, let's move on to some other files including and Pavan I'll start with you as uh, the businessman on the panel panel um, businesses in Toronto are demanding some guidance from Metrolinks on exactly what the impact of Ontario line construction is going to be. And they actually, they want money up front. We always end up in this debate halfway through construction of the St. Clair line or the Eglinton line and say, oh, are we going to do something about the merchants and restaurants who are going out of business? They're saying, no, no, come up with a fund and a payment scheme ahead of, uh, ahead of, you know, construction. Is that going to work or is that a good idea? Well, it's critical. I mean, the poor people. I, I, my heart bleeds for the businesses, and we've seen it in we've seen it in Kitchener Waterloo. We've seen it in Ottawa. We've seen it over and over again. Those are above ground installations, but it destroys businesses. It destroys livelihoods. People are left paying taxes on empty buildings. Um, so, I think it's entirely appropriate. It is the wild west when it comes to uh, to how these things work out. We know the Crosstown Eglinton is now at eleven years, and and pen, and we don't know when it's going to be over. So, I think it's entirely appropriate. We do have the same thing going on in Hamilton. 
where there's the construction of the LRT that's planned and um, and 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 they just want to know the facts. I mean, on the positive side, we're having there's there's finally transit being built in Toronto. That's that's the positive. But on the other side of it, we do have to be sympathetic to these poor businesses that will get wiped out. Yeah, this is going to be disruptive as, as heck, Tamara Cherry. I mean, I'm looking at the map of the Ontario line, and the real problem will be as it comes out of Exhibition Place, and it's going to go north. It's going to run on Queen from uh, west of Spadina all the way through Moss Park. Then it's going to go to Corktown. There are going. This disruption is going to be major. Yeah, you know, I I can't help but think that there's business owners along Eglinton who are sort of laughing at the fact that these these new business owners are are looking to Metrolinx for guidance because the Eglinton business owners must be thinking Metrolinx can't provide you any guidance. They're only going to give you grief. So I agree with Pavan that uh, I think absolutely there needs to be some sort of um, money scheme figured out up front so that these people aren't just left drowning and then and then fighting for their livelihood. And Matt Gurney, if memory serves, you're kind of in the blast zone for Eglinton, aren't you? Oh God! I mean, when I'm when I'm done this, I'm going to go start walking the dog, and I'm going to walk right across Eglinton. It's not that far from me at all. Yeah. Um, do you think that compensation uh, is is? I mean, the worst part of this would be if we decide to come up with a compensation program from the for the Ontario line, then the Eglinton people are going to say, "Hey, dude, I went out of business. What about me?" Yeah, there needs to be some consistency. Um, but w- what I would add, and I don't mean to duck the question on compensation. Yeah. I think, yes, there should be uh, compensation. I, th- I think that's only fair. But what I would also say is there needs to be some degree of transparency. And if I'm someone who's going to be impacted by the Ontario line construction, I'm worried about noise and dust and business disruptions and traffic flow and all that stuff. But what I really think people should be freaked out about is the fact that the Eglinton line isn't open and the provincial government doesn't doesn't have a thing to say about it. They've announced, well, it's not opening. Oh, well, when will it be opening? We have no comment. Like, that's frustrating as a resident in the area. This is frustrating as a guy who will use the Eglinton line, and it will actually make my commute better. It will be a big improvement to that part of my life. But imagine you're one of the uh, businesses that's been affected here, and you're being told, well, it's not opening on schedule. Oh, when is it opening? And there's just silence from Metrolinks from the transport minister. No one wants to talk about it. That's what alarms me here more. We need to do better than this because if you're trying to plan the survival of your business and the government goes silent, that's not encouraging. Okay, I get it that you know people at Rebel Media and similar outlets believe the government is always trying to come and get us, and part of that is just a trump up in order to get people excited and angry. But uh, all kinds of mainstream media outlets have reacted to Canada's new alcohol guidelines and to the report that if you have a gas stove, your kids are more likely to have asthma. And Tamara Cherry, it all seems to come down to the fact that Justin Trudeau is going to kick down the front door, make you eat cr- uh, crickets, and uh, take away your booze oh god (laughs) can't everybody just get along in in particular can't all researchers just get along i mean i wish that we could just read a research paper and and say oh this is peer-reviewed yes that's it but i mean this also speaks to the the responsibility of journalists to look beyond the news releases with flashy headlines because it's it is very hard to resist those flashy headlines when some interesting research comes across our desks but 
Um, listen, I mean, I, I was very interested to read this Globe and Mail opinion article from the alcohol social researcher. I don't remember what his his title was, the professor. Um, but I mean, this in the end of the day, this has little impact on my life as I rarely drink. But now I'm reading this counter argument and I'm thinking, oh, goodness, should I be drinking more? So I don't know. <laughs> OK, Pavan, <laughs> you know, OK, big deal. It came out last week. Doctors are scolds. We all know that every time you sit with your doctor, your doctor has all sorts of things that you're supposed to be doing or not doing. It doesn't mean that the government is about to impose that as some form of legislation. No, I don't think that's coming down anytime soon. There'll be there'll be a mass riot and there'll be protests everywhere. But, you know, I come at it from a unique position because I was as a marketer, I once ran the global digital marketing agency for one of the world's largest brewers or one of Canada's largest brewers. And 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 yet today, you know, I choose not to drink for physical health reasons. You know, it's fattening, it drives your triglycerides high. And I think I think this is a great study. It it, it reveals a lot of things, and there are a lot of people who are just plain surprised to hear, oh, you mean I'm not supposed to drink when I have heart disease and it doesn't make my diabetes better? No, it doesn't actually. And that's what they're saying. So this all comes down to awareness. And it's 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 critical that we that people grow in their awareness of what's going on, what the impact is. And and I think it's, you know, it's obviously critically important whether it's alcohol or, you know, a manufacturer added nitrates, which are causing, you know, a pandemic of cancer among young men. These are the things that have to come to, to light and we have to generate more awareness of the impact. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Matt Gurney, Pavan Brach and Tamara Cherry. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.